How many of you are thankful for Jesus this morning? Anybody? Amen. Good to see you. Very good to see you. This is Memorial Day weekend, and it is a holiday in which we honor those who have lost their lives uh, uh, fighting for our freedom. And it's one that, uh, that we should never forget. Uh, we were talking about just in the, in the uh, green room before the service here today that for many of us here today, we remember and we honor those who lost their lives once a year on Memorial Day. But for those families who lost a loved one, it's every day. And so uh, it's just something that I think that we should always take serious. It's something that we should always remember and honor. And, um, and we stand on the shoulders of a lot of people who have lost their lives uh, for our country. This morning, in, a, in an effort to honor and remember those who have died, I realize that there are a lot of us here today who lost great-grandfathers to war, uh, who've lost uh, grandfathers, who maybe have lost uh, uh, mothers and fathers or brothers and sisters. And so in an effort to honor them this morning, I would just like for, to ask for all of our veterans in this room and also those who actively serve, would you help us honor those who have fallen by standing this morning? And let's just praise God one more time for those who are willing to do that. Would you stand this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you. I realize that Veterans Day is a day when we typically do that, but uh, I think it's just something that we can do today to just remember those who have truly died. This morning, we have a lot happening in our service today. We have a lot going on. Not only are we uh, honoring those who died on Memorial Day, but we're kicking off a new series, and, uh, and it's called Unlikely Heroes. Uh, I don't think that's by accident that today is the day that we... Uh, are kicking this series off. It's, it's one of those things where the series went down in Planning Center, uh, the app that we use to organize our Sunday morning experiences, and it just happened to be that it was Memorial Day. But Unlikely Heroes is the name of the series that we're going to be kicking off today. And then also, in addition, at the end of this message, we're going to be closing with an ordination service as we ordain one of our very own this morning. And so, uh, very excited about the day, very excited about what God's doing in this place. You know, each and every week we have an opportunity to just see so many people baptized, and we know that God's working in the lives. We see people who are coming to know Jesus. We see people who are learning and growing in their faith each and every day, and it's just, it's really amazing to just see God at work in so many ways. Uh, and so uh, more on that as we get toward the end of the service here this morning. But I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together, and we're going to continue to worship through the reading and the preaching of His Word. So pray with me, if you will, this morning, and we'll get started uh, with the message. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, God, for all that you are. Father, we recognize you as, as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. God, we, we just recognize you as the one who is holy and perfect in every way. And Father, we also just celebrate our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who is ultimately the greatest hero that we would ever have. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and and, and through the indwelling of our Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, God, we are, we are transformed, we are sanctified by your Spirit, God, as you move and you 
grow us in such remarkable ways. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the lives of so many. Lord, it's just amazing to be able to look around and to see you at work and God, to celebrate those things in which you carry out in people's lives. And so, Father, today as we continue to just worship you through the reading and preaching of your word, as we turn into your word and we look at the truth and the, the stories that we see there of unlikely heroes and we, we come to a place of just recognizing, God, how you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things, it's just really encouraging to us, Father. And so, Father, we love you, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me go ahead and invite you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. We're going to the Old Testament. Somebody not long ago asked me, why don't we ever preach through the Old Testament? We do from time to time, maybe not as often as the New Testament, but guess what? You're here today, and we are, so that's really amazing to me. So it's, uh, it's, it's incredible what we find in the Old Testament, but one of the things I love about the Old Testament is, is the reality that there are so many wonderful stories about people whom God used to do just incredible things. I mean, we see some, some amazing people who are people of faith, who are people of, uh, to be used by God as vessels, to be used by God, but, but what really makes them so remarkable sometimes is before God really come into their life, came into their life and, and called them to, to a particular task, they were just ordinary people like you and I. And I love that about the stories that we often find uh, all throughout Scripture. Uh, but it is here that we're going to see in this series the first of our unlikely heroes. Now, I want to begin this morning by sort of defining what a hero is because I think this is uh, very important as we walk through the next four weeks of this series and we think about what a hero is. I think it's important that we try to understand what exactly a hero is. And, and to my surprise, there's a lot of ways you can define a hero. Most all of us in this room probably have in our mind exactly what a hero is. And, 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 and maybe it doesn't line up perfectly with this definition that I want to offer to you today. Uh, I was surprised at just how many different ways you can define a hero. But I like this one, and I think it's one that uh, it helps uh, us understand more about what it is that we are looking uh, at in the scriptures here together throughout this series. But here's, here's how we want to define hero this morning. A hero is a person who is admired and honored for courage, outstanding achievements, or sacrifice for the sake of others. For the sake of others. And I think that's a good way to, to see and look at what Scripture teaches us about the unlikely heroes that we're going to be looking at here this morning. And no doubt when we think of heroes, we would certainly think of the men and women who gave their life for our freedom. That's what we're honoring. Those are who we're honoring this morning, those heroes uh, of our country, those heroes that exist in our life, our personal families. And, and so we would we would certainly think about those who died for our, our freedom and for our country. But there are also many different types of heroes. Our policemen and our firemen, oftentimes we read in the paper where they become heroes. Our teachers and our coaches, we can't leave them out as well. Oftentimes those are some of the greatest heroes in our life. Doctors and nurses, I mean, 
Heroes really, if you think about it, they come in all shapes and sizes. And, and quite honestly, anyone that's sitting in this room has the capability of becoming a hero. Here's what I think is really interesting about a hero is typically heroes are never looking to be heroes. It just happens. It's just one of those things where people, uh, in, in because of their actions, whether, you know, uh, whether they're in a, a time of war or battles or whether it's just everyday life on the street, Heroes typically aren't looking to be heroes. It's not something that they're striving for. It's just something that happens. And I think as we dive into the Word of God, we begin to realize that there are certain people uh, which the Bible actually re refers to as heroes of our faith. Uh, there are certain people who God decides to use in incredible ways for His glory, for His kingdom, and oftentimes, as we see this, we begin to realize that, man, because of these people's actions and their willing to be, willingness to be obedient, that we see really remarkable things beginning to take place in their life. The point is this, is that real heroes are usually the ones that, that uh, are never looking to be a hero. And, and oftentimes, as we look upon these people's lives, we we sometimes would say that we don't even see the makings of a hero, but it's by their actions that we see it. Now, God often uses the most unexpected, most insignificant people that we've ever seen in the scriptures. This morning, we're looking at uh, a man named Gideon, a man named Gideon. And we're going to be going to this passage in Judges chapter 6. We're starting this morning with verse 11, and we're going to read through verse 16 here together, but what uh, I have titled this message here this morning, and really I haven't titled it, God's Word has titled it, but it's Gideon, a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior. As we look into the life of Gideon, maybe some of you here today have, have read this story, you're very familiar with this story, maybe some of you haven't, but I can assure you that Gideon wasn't looking for that title. In fact, he would have never suspected that that would be a title that would be given to him by the Lord himself. And so uh, I think it's one of the really amazing stories that we see in Scripture. Often we don't talk about this, but, but I'll tell you, this is, a, this is really a good one. So read with me, if you will, Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 11, and we'll read this together here this morning. It says this. It says, now the angel of the Lord, he came and he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazirite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord, he appeared to him and he said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Some translations say mighty warrior. The, the ESV calls him a mighty man of valor. It says in verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us over into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and he said, go in this might of yours 
and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel from the hand of Midian? He says, do, you, do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how, do I, how can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, at the time of this story that was taking place here, Israel had a huge problem. Israel had a huge problem because they were being oppressed. And I can only imagine what Gideon was thinking as the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord came and began to speak into Gideon's life and began to share with him that he was this mighty warrior because we see his response. And Gideon's response is basically this. I think you've got the wrong guy. Because Gideon's view of himself was that he was the runt of the family. He was the smallest of the family. He was the guy who was the most insignificant in his family. And then he goes on to say, he says, not only am I the, the weakest, not only am I the most insignificant of my family, but my family happens to be the weakest of all the families. And so you can see real quickly that Gideon thinks very highly of himself, can't you? I mean, here's a man who is really just reeling in self-doubt, isn't he? And so we see this man who is approached by the angel of the Lord, and we see some really amazing things. But, but the reason that we're seeing these things is because Israel had this huge problem. You see, they were being oppressed by the Midianites. They were being oppressed. And, and as we begin to study the Midianites, as we begin to try to understand who is this group that was oppressing Israel, we begin to realize that they were nomads. They were a very large group of people. In fact, the scriptures would go on to tell us that they had a, an army of 135,000 warriors or soldiers. And so we have a, a group of people, and just to put that into comparison, Israel at this time had 32,000. And so you have a, a, a pretty uh, overwhelming odds that the Midianites could pretty much do what they wanted. But they were a nomadic people. And what had happened in their life is they had come into the presence of Israel. And the Israelites, they were not nomadic. They were very permanently placed by God himself to live there. And so as they had settled there, they became farmers and they grew and shepherds and they, they, they grew crops. And so as the Midianites came into this place and they discovered these crops, these lands and these sheep and these goats, and they saw all this abundance of food, they sort of looked at the Israelites as a group of people who were providing for them whatever it is that they needed to sustain their life. And so they would literally come in and steal the crops because of this huge force or this show of force that they had. They would steal the crops. They would steal the sheep. They would steal their meat and vegetables. It just, they would just take whatever they wanted. And what we begin to understand as we read through the scriptures is that this had gone on and on and on. This wasn't a group of people who just sort of came through and swept on through and went about their merry way. 
No, these were people who would return over and over and over. And so what we begin to see in the scriptures is that this was occurring uh, with such frequency that the Israelites begin to cry out to God. In fact, the scriptures tell us for seven years they endured the Midianites coming in and taking what they wanted from them. And so this is the situation that's going on. This is what's happening so far. God is responding to the cries of Israel, and as he is responding, he goes to a man named Gideon, and he calls him out to lead the people and defeat the Midianites. Now, that's a pretty incredible story, and I'm sure you would probably agree. I mean, just thinking about 32,000 people going up against 135, if you want to read the story, it gets better as God goes to him and he says to Gideon, you have too many people. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not make sense to me. I'm thinking, no, God, you need to provide some more warriors, but God goes to Gideon, and this isn't part of the message. This is a little icing on the cake for you this morning, but he goes to Gideon, and he says, I want you to reduce your army, and so Gideon reduces it down to 10,000. That's uh, 13 to 1 odds. Uh, he's feeling pretty good about things. He, he's done what the Lord asked him to reduce the army. He gets it down to 10,000, and then the Lord says, no. That's still too large of an army. And, and as you read the story, it's, it's almost humorous. I mean, it's like, what do you mean, God? Because those kinds of things don't make sense to us. And what, what God wants him to do is reduce it down to the, in the final number becomes 300 people. 300 against 135,000. God tells us why he chose to do this, why he asked Gideon to reduce his army, and it's because he didn't want Israel coming and boasting to him that in their strength they defeated the enemy, but rather God defeated the enemy for them. And so that's just another part of the story. We won't even get to that today, even though we just did, right? So, but here's what's so incredible about this story, and I, I want us to really look at this because I think it's really amazing what we see here. There's two things I want to offer to you this morning. I'll go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll break them down. But the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is the choosing of an unlikely hero, the choosing of an unlikely hero. We have to recognize that this is God's calling on Gideon's life. This is his, his calling this man to carry out a very specific task, and it's one that I think is, is really interesting to look at. And then the second thing that I want us to look at here today is this, is that how God's ways and man's perceptions are often very different. In other words, God sees it one way and we happen to see it another way. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Have you ever noticed that, uh, how God just seems to to lay out his plan for our life, and we look at that and we say, man, God, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. But that's the way it works sometimes, and we see that in this passage, and we can learn a lot from it as we dive into this. So let's look at the first one there, the first thing that I want to point out to us, and that is the choosing of an unlikely hero, the choosing or the calling of an unlikely hero. Now, did you notice that that Gideon, when we read the story, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, let me just say that 
in, in their day, that was not typical of anybody who wanted to thresh wheat. In fact, oftentimes when they wanted to thresh wheat, they would go up on top of a hill. And it was usually a hill that had a real rocky surface because they needed the hard ground to thresh the wheat. And they would get up on the hill because on top of the hill is where the wind was blowing, uh, usually a little harder than anywhere else. And as they, they threshed the wheat, they could toss up the wheat and the, the loose uh, bits of, of wheat could just kind of go off, but the seed would remain. And so the wind would carry away the chaff. And so they would rid the self of their chafe, and they would, they would thresh the wheat up on this hill. There's a problem with that, though, when you have an enemy who's always stealing your food, and that, and that is up on a hill, you're very visible to the enemy. And so people can look for miles away, and they can see on the horizon of this hill that you're threshing the wheat. They can see people who are at work, and they're, they're just getting their food all ready for you, Right? No, they're getting it ready for themselves. And so, but the Midianites were real good about noticing this and coming in and just sort of charging in and taking what they wanted. And so, as we think about Midian, this unlikely hero, we notice that he was not threshing his wheat in on top of a hill, but rather, it says in the scripture, that he was in a wine press. Now, the wine press was much different than where the threshing field or hill would be. The wine press was often at the base of a steep hill because they would oftentimes grow their grapes on the hillside. I remember about uh, many years back, I don't remember how many, when I had an opportunity to go to Israel. And I remember as I was there, we went and visited a vineyard that was there. Uh, they weren't very common, or at least I didn't see a lot of them, mostly olive trees. But we did see a place where they were they were growing grapes on a very steep hillside, and I remember thinking, couldn't there be a flatter ground where they could grow these grapes, because that must be maddening trying to harvest these grapes. And I remember asking our tour guide, why is it that they've planted these grapes on such steep hillsides, and they said it, it helps them to harvest the grapes because they pick them and they just come downhill with the heavy loads of grapes. And so oftentimes the wine press would be at the bottom or the base of those hills or maybe in the valley of several hills coming together and it would typically be a hole that was in the ground. And so it wasn't something that unless you just happened upon this wine press that you could see from very far away. Now here's who we have. We have a man named Gideon. He's also identified the reality that he is the least of the least. He is a guy who is very fearful. He's a guy who has probably already been robbed from before. And what we see is he has an opportunity to thresh some wheat. And where does he go? He goes to hide. And so he goes to this place. He goes to this, to this, this hiding place. And he begins to hide there. And here's what's interesting to me. Here's what's really interesting to me, that even though he was hidden from his enemies, he was not hidden from God. God could still find him, couldn't he? And God came to him. You know, I read that story and I think about how often God may want to use one of us for a, a particular purpose. God may want to call us and, and oftentimes we just want to kind of sit back in the shadows or or, or, or stay on the back row, and, and uh, all these people on the back row are going to be moving forward next week. They don't want to be labeled the back rows anymore, right? But, but the reality is oftentimes I think we, 
We, we have, we're really good at just sort of running and hiding instead of maybe fulfilling that which God would have us to do. But the reality is God always knows where you are and he will find you and he will come calling when he's ready to call you into a particular task. But here we see Gideon. And it says in verse 11, it says, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he said this. Now, this becomes really uh, interesting to me and very profound as well, and this is something I want to share with you this morning. As we read this, we continue to read, and it says this. It says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, or some translations, like I said, O mighty warrior. Now here's what I want to see. I want to, I, want to, I want to point this out to you because I think this is really interesting. Do you see what it says here? That which comes before the angel of the Lord calling Gideon a mighty warrior, we see these words, the Lord is with you. Then he says, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, proceeds, O man, mighty man of valor. And what I take away from this, as I look at this passage, that what I find so fascinating, it's not the man Gideon that makes him a man of valor. It's the presence of the Lord in this man's life that makes him a mighty man of valor. And so here we see a man just an ordinary man, maybe like you or me. We see just an ordinary man who in his, his own being runs and hides. He sees himself as a man who is filled with self-doubt. He sees, we see this man as a man who is very insecure. We see a man who, who thinks of himself as not being valuable for anything, and yet he goes and hides from his enemies, no doubt, but he cannot hide from God. And God goes to this man and calls this man. And multiple times in this story that we're looking at, he says, I am with you. And we begin to see that the strength of this mighty man of valor isn't because of the man. It's because of the presence of the Lord with this man. And I love that. I often think about those who may be a little fearful about serving in whatever capacity God has gifted them. And I believe that oftentimes the reason we may be fearful to serve in those ways is because we're not seeing it from the correct perspective. We're not taking notice that it's, it's not in our own strength that we may serve. It's not in our own strength that we may give to the kingdom of God. It's not in our own strength that we may accomplish even great things. It's in the presence of the Lord that we do all of those things. Gideon was the weakest of all, the weakest of his entire family the weakest family in all the clan. And yet God chose to use him. A powerful story. A really powerful story. You know, the, the, the question that sort of popped in my head as I was reading through and processing this is, isn't it interesting how 
if we were to choose someone to save us, if we were in Israel's shoes and we had come to this place where we said, we need to find somebody to put an end to this oppression from the Midianites, who would we have looked to? We would have looked to the strongest, most capable leader. We would look to those who are leading our armies. We would look to those who have the strongest voice and the the greatest minds. And we would look to those sorts of people. And yet God goes to the smallest, weakest, most insignificant person. Why? So that his glory would be known. It's really interesting to me, and I hope that you see just how powerful that is. The next thing that I want us to look at, the second piece to this this thing is this, is that God's ways and man's perceptions are often very different. In other words, God sees things often very differently than the way we see things. And I asked you earlier, have have you ever noticed that? And many of you laughed and shook your head because I think it's something that we recognize in our own life so often these days. We often see that God, he just has different plans than we often have. And in those plans, uh, a lot of times we find ourselves, well, in hindsight, I see why God chose to do that. But in the moment, we often don't see it because we're not looking for God's ways. We're looking at our own circumstances. And in those circumstances, we're seeing things from our perspective. And so in this story, that's exactly what we see. We see where God has a plan to take his people and to to rescue his people. And, And we look at Gideon, this man who is just trying to get through life, who sees things completely different. And so I think that's very interesting for us as we consider all this. God takes his people down a path that looking back just simply doesn't make Sense. I think it's interesting that in our text, uh, we see here where it says, uh, the, the Lord says, did the Lord bring us, uh, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? Or, or Gideon asked this question of the Lord, did the Lord not bring us up from, Idiot, uh, from Egypt? And I, and I love the fact that Gideon has referenced Egypt here. He's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about that time when they were enslaved, when Israel was enslaved uh, to the Egyptians and Pharaoh was over them all and, and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go and eventually Pharaoh releases the Israelites to leave and, and so they leave and they go away and, and we read the story and most of us here are probably very familiar of the story of the Exodus and, and ultimately Pharaoh changes his mind. He comes in hot pursuit after them and he comes looking to destroy them and then we see what? We see God do something really incredible as he parts the Red Sea and the people escape to the other side. Then he closes the sea and he destroys the Egyptian army. And so this is a very familiar story to us. But if you've ever thought about how powerfully important the route in which which God took the Israelites, it's really remarkable. 
Because if you were to look at a map and you were to look at where the Israelites were, somewhere around where Cairo is today, and then you look at where Jerusalem is, it's a mere 260 miles from one place to the other if you just travel northeast, more east, but northeast. You just leave there 260 miles. It won't take you that long to get there sort of thing. But God doesn't take them that way, does he? No, he turns them and takes them south down into the Sinai Desert. They go all the way to the Red Sea. And it's there at the Red Sea that we see the story of the Red Sea parting and all that. They make their way up through uh, the, the, the lands and they, they eventually cross the Jordan River. They, in fact, they cross it twice, one way down near the Red Sea. But then the story that we know where Joshua carries the people into the promised land from Jordan, he crosses the Red Sea. But what's remarkable is the route that God took his people doesn't make sense. It's so far, and it took them so many years of traveling just to get to the promised land, except for it was God's plan all along. Oftentimes, what we have to understand is that God's plan for our life is often very different than the way we perceive it or the way that we see things unfold in our life. We often find ourselves, even as believers and followers of Christ, even people of faith, arguing with God because it just doesn't make sense that that's our path. But here we see the same thing happening in Gideon's life. We see in verse 14 where it says this, and the Lord turned to him and he says, go in this might of yours and save Israel. I love this. I love the fact that the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord has said to to Gideon, he says to him, he says, oh mighty man of valor, he's already identified him as this mighty warrior, and then, and then Gideon's like, you got the wrong guy, and then he says to him, go in this might of yours. In other words, he's really made him out to be this incredible warrior, hasn't he? He says, go in this might of yours, and so he says, and save Israel from the hand of Midian, do, I, do not I send you? And he said to him, Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Because, behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord says, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so the Lord says, go in this might of yours and save Israel. Go and save Israel. That's God's path for his life. That's God's plan for his life. Gideon's perspective is, there's no way. There's no way this can happen. And then the Lord comes back and he assures him, assures him, he says, but I will be with you. And here's the promise of the Lord. You will strike the Midianites as one man. This story is so very familiar to us as we read through Scripture because we see so many others who responded the same way, don't we? We see even Moses who led God's people out of Egypt. We see him and him respond when God says, you shall set my people free. And he's, he's like, Lord, 
you're going you're gonna to have to show me in, in bigger ways than this. Because, and, and I love what Moses says. This is what Moses says. He, he's not worried so much about the power. He says, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good speaker. I, I don't know what that has to do with anything back then. I mean, he's been talking to Pharaoh's household all his life. I, I don't know why he thought he couldn't handle the task. And the one thing he was concerned more about was the fact that he's not a good speaker, except for at one time in my life, that scared me to death as well, you know? And so I, I understand the fear. Maybe that scares some of you as well. But the reality is that's what he turned to. But we have this guy named Moses who, who was questioning God when God says, this is the path in which I have established for you. This is what I want you to do. And Moses says, you've got the wrong guy. We see this over and over and over, looking from one man's perspective or looking from man's perspective oftentimes just doesn't make sense to us. Gideon was fearful. He was timid. He was full of doubt. He was insecure. But you see, what God is really good at is not necessarily calling the equipped, but equipping the call. That's what's so powerful about who God is. And that's why as I sit here and I think about the reality that all of us are on a pathway that God has established for us. And we should never fear the path in which God has selected for us because it's in his choosing of us to walk the path that we also can rest in the reality that he goes with us. He has already promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And in the same way that the Lord had spoke to Gideon and said multiple times, I'm going to be with you, in the same way we are promised that when we choose to live out our life in the way that God has chosen for us to live out our life. Ephesians 2, verse 10, and I love this. It says this. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I know that's jumping back to the New Testament for a second. But as believers in Christ Jesus... As followers in Christ Jesus, as authentic Christians, those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, if you are here today as a, as a believer and a follower of Christ Jesus, then you are his workmanship. That's what the Bible says to us, and this passage speaks so clearly to us that we are his, we are his workmanship, we were created in Christ Jesus, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. In other words, while you were yet still a sinner, Christ was dying for you, and in those moments before, God was already laying out a path for you, whether you could see it or not. And that's what makes God so beautiful. The sovereignty of God is truly something that is amazing and something that we should understand. If you haven't studied the sovereignty of God and how it relates to you in your life, you are missing out on the beauty of who God is. God is so incredibly in control. 
Now I said this morning we're going to close out this service a little different than usual. And, uh, and, and we're going to finish out this service with a time of ordination. I can remember a day about five years ago when a young man called the office and he asked if he could come in and meet with me. And I didn't know this guy. I'd, I'd never met this guy. I'd never uh, seen this guy that I know of. And, and uh, his name was Nick Hampton. And so he called. It sounded urgent. And we were, you know, in the office. We were kind of wondering what that was all about. And so, so Nick came and he sat down. And I remember he was just with tears in his eyes, just, just blown away by what God had sort of set as his path in life. Nick was one who was uncertain about the future. He was one that didn't understand all that God had in store for him. He was probably a bit timid and he was probably a bit shy. He was probably feeling a bit insecure in life. And, and yet he came and he sat on my couch and he began to share his story with me. And I remember, I'll never forget this day as long as I live. He says, Pastor David, I know you don't know me, but will you disciple me? And one of the things that I saw in Nick was a true love for God and a love for people. There was no doubt about this man's life that, that God was working in his life. And, and even despite the uncertainty of everything that was happening in his life, he, he had a passion for God and he loved God and he just wanted to discover what it was that God had in store for him. And so he came into my office that day and we sat down, and I'll never forget that day. Nick, I'm going to ask you to come on up here, if you will, because I want you to hear from Nick a little bit this morning. It's really amazing what's happening in Nick's life. No, down here, Darren. Down front. No, yeah, you're up here for now. But Nick came into my office. You're probably about the size of Gideon, aren't you? He I'm gave, a little larger than Gideon, just a little bit. I joked with him earlier this week, and he said, no, you should use that. I don't think he thought I would, but anyway. I knew you would. You knew, but I've grown to love this guy because I tell you, God's just really done some incredible things in his life. And a few weeks ago, it hasn't been long, yeah. Nick came in my office, and he was crying again, and he was crying scared now. again. Crying I know, yeah. he was scared again, and he was he was wondering what's going on in his life, and he didn't know really what was happening. But, but one of the things that I've come to know about this guy is that he has a passion for, for students. He has a passion for young people, the next generation, if you will. But he has a greater passion for God, and his passion is that he wants students, the next generation, to know God. And he began to share with me what was going on in his life. And Nick, I'm going to let you just share this morning what's going on in your life and what God has called you to because I believe God's called you to a place that's really remarkable. Well, thank you, David. Um, I kind of want to start off just uh, by thanking Crosspoint Church. Been here for five years. Uh, I was freaked out that day I walked into David's office, um, really just overwhelmed with what God was doing and, and, and everything in my life and um, felt a long time ago just the call on my life to step into ministry and to, to, to really take the next step and, and go where God was calling me to go. And um, over the past five years, David, I want to thank you. And I want to thank our staff, those of you that are in this room and the ones that are out serving right now, um, for helping me kind of 
go through and hone that down and really find where God wanted me to be. And over the past, I don't know, David, probably about a year and a half, um, you probably don't remember this, but I will never forget it. We were in Staff Devo one day, and uh, he said, would you please turn to Luke chapter 4? And he asked us to read a passage. And in that, in that passage in, in Luke chapter 4, he called on me. I didn't even raise my hand. He called on me to read it. And in that passage, that's when Jesus went back to his hometown. And it says there that, that they drove him out of his own hometown, that, that they would not accept truth and they would not accept what Jesus had to bring to them. They would not accept the gospel in their hometown. And I sat there knowing that God had called me back to my hometown and scared to death. And at that point, that was the beginning of us fixing to begin a series where we looked at greater things. And Jesus told us that there were greater things that, than he did than what we would do. So knowing for, my, for myself and for my life that God has called me back to my hometown and, and I'm not Jesus, okay? And so if Jesus couldn't get it done in his hometown, my question to God was, God, how can I get it done in my hometown? But God said greater, or Jesus said greater things than I did, you will do. And I want you to understand that this morning too, that you may feel small and insignificant. I am small and insignificant, I'm short. See, I mean, compared to this guy, look. But you may feel that way, but God's, Jesus said greater things than he did, we will do. And so about a month and a half ago, well, it's about two months ago now, I got a phone call from uh, from a friend of mine, it wasn't an unusual phone call at first, just because me and him talk quite regularly, um, just about ministry and, and, and different things. And, and he called me and he said, well, uh, Nick, would you come to my office and talk with me? So again, nothing unusual. So I went to his office and sat down and he said, Nick, I know you're happy where you're at. I know you love Crosspoint, but I have, a, I have an offer for you, you know, something I want you to go home and think about. And he he offered me, he said, well, Nick, I'm, I'm moving up and, and I need a new youth pastor and, and I need some other things taken care of. And, and your, your name and, and Rachel's name were the first ones that came to mind and, 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 and came to the forefront of, of who we thought would be the best person for this fit. Well, in, in God's uh, funny way, three days later, I got another phone call from another pastor in our hometown offering me the exact same job. So then I was like, okay, God, you're not making this easy, but you're making it clear that this place is where you have called us to, that this is what you want us to do. And so me and my wife hit our knees and began to pray. And uh, a friend of mine asked me a couple of weeks ago, he said, how are your knees feeling? I said, they're a lot more raw than what they, they usually are. And, uh, and we began to pray and God just began to open doors and shut doors and open doors and shut doors. And ultimately has gotten us to this place where... Um, we have accepted this position, and I say we because um, if it wasn't for my wife, I would not be standing on this stage here today. Um, and I want to finish with this, that God is so good. When they sang that song, You're Good, this morning, I just, I broke down because God will take you places you never thought you would ever go and call you to do things you never thought you could do. And all he asks of us really is to just take one step. Because in the end, it's his plan anyway. In the end, he's going to take us where he's called us to go. And so, um, God is good. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, man. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat right here. Nick uh, accepted a position with First Baptist Church Equipment, and they have requested that he be ordained uh, as their student pastor. And, uh, and so Nick had come to me, and uh, he said, Pastor David, I would love for the church that I've been a part of for the last five years to, to do that for us. And so this week, we assembled an ordination council, which consisted of our pastors and also uh, pastor, two other pastors from Brooks County who came over, including Pastor Steve at First Baptist Quitman. And, uh, and we assembled together, and we, we drilled him for about six hours. Now, it wasn't quite that long, but it, he said it seemed like it was about that long. And, uh, and we already, I think everyone in the room already knew who Nick was. And so uh, we have an opportunity today, and we have the honor today to lay hands on Nick and to close out this service by laying hands on him and praying for him and sending him. Nick, uh, in Isaiah 6, 8, we see where it tells us that Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord was saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, he responded by saying, here I am, send me. When God calls us to go, we have to go. And there's just nothing we can do about that unless we just choose to live in disobedience. And so I'm happy for you, and I'm thankful for you. And I want us this morning, while the band comes and plays our last song this morning, I want us as a, 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 our pastors to just come and make their way on up here, and we're going to lay hands on him and pray for him to close out the service. Soil I now surrender 
right, church, will you uh, let's close in prayer and, and, and lift Nick up as a, as a corporate body. Heavenly Father, I pray over my brother Nick that you would give him the full understanding and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know and embrace 1 Corinthians 1, 26. To consider above everything else his calling. He wasn't called for his wisdom or his nobility or his power. We heard that today. Gideon was concerned about him being not noble. Moses was concerned about not being wise. Think of David and Goliath that no one looked at David and thought he could defeat Goliath. That we are not called into the ministry because of our power or nobility or wisdom. It is a calling based on your desire for our life. I pray that you would embrace that. In ministry, as he faces things that he, he may not know how to solve, that he may not have experienced before, that he would not rely on his own giftedness, but that he would rely on you. As a church, as we stand here today to send him out, I think of 2 Timothy 2, 2, and how what we're doing here today is a beautiful picture of that. That what he's heard and seen and learned in his time here at Cross Point, that he would go out and, and, and we have entrusted these things for him to go out and, and to teach others that what he has heard in the presence that we would entrust to teach to others. And it's what you have called him to do. And we pray that as you do this in his life, that he would rely on nothing but you, that he would fear nothing but you. We love you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, you'll have a good day. You're dismissed.